Okay, we are in Romans chapter 10 this morning. Romans chapter 10. We are continuing in that study series, Amplify. We want to turn up the volume on the gospel. And the next couple of weeks, we'll be walking through five E words. Last weekend, Pastor Mark talked about the word exalt, worship. His message was based on John 4. And in John 4, Jesus calls us to worship in spirit and in truth. So we are to worship in communion with the Spirit of God, grounded in the truth of the gospel. As we place ourselves before God, position ourselves before God, and submit to His purposes, read His Word, we discover that one of our primary callings is to evangelize. Now, unfortunately, that word evangelize is not the most popular word for some. I spent some time uh, training missionary candidates, and one of the exercises that I would often do with them was the following. I would put three words on the board, mission, evangelism, and transformation, and just ask them this question, with which word do you most identify? And invariably, they would choose mission or transformation. I don't remember anyone choosing evangelism. Now, this is mission candidates. For them, evangelism just wasn't a very popular word. Mission, good word, because everybody wants to live with purpose. And so mission, it talks about individual purpose, group purpose, any uh, corporation, nonprofit organization, church will have a mission statement. Others chose transformation. Well, transformation, it talks about positive change in society. And so you can talk about education. You can talk about social change. You can talk about... Justice causes, a more palatable word, transformation. Evangelism, well, that's, that's equated with proselytization. That's like trying to convert people from one religion to another, and that's just taboo in our culture. That smacks of intolerance, of disrespect, of arrogance. And so for many, evangelism is a bad word. Do we need to resurrect? What's at the heart of Christ's mission? Let me start with a story. I sit in a, in a corporate office, and in front of me there are two men, a lawyer, and the other is the president of the Global Association of Theme Parks in the world, theme parks like Disney, Six Flags. So the, here they are, two men, well-educated, well-positioned in society, wealthy. What do they need to hear? They, they are from Roman Catholic background, but their real religion is Cardicism. It's a, a French form of spiritism. And so they, they believe in Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of scriptures. They believe that Jesus is the most evolved spirit of all time. When followers of this religion gather, they are hoping for spiritual guidance. They're looking for physical healing. Sometimes they expect to speak with the deceased, to receive comfort. Jesus is just a model for them to follow. They don't expect to know Jesus. He's a, he's a model to follow. They do good works. That's the way that they evolve. And so they're involved in charity. What do these two men, who appear to have all that life has to offer, what do they need to hear? Let's go to Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Romans 10, verse 14. Paul writes, How then... 
will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. To understand these verses, we really need to to read verse 13, which is a quotation from Joel chapter 2. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul works back from that verse in verses 14 to 17 and describes the process of calling on the Lord. The logic of the verses is very clear. First of all, people call on Jesus to save them only if they believe he can save them. It's obvious. Second, people will not trust in Jesus if they don't know who he is. Our translation here reads uh, the second half of verse 14, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? I think the New American Standard Bible translates this a little better, uh, more in line with the original, and how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? In other words, when the gospel is preached, people are actually hearing Jesus. When the revealed word of God is spoken forth, people hear Jesus speaking to them. It's personal. And then thirdly, people will not hear Jesus unless someone preaches. That is, unless someone proclaims the good news to them. And fourthly, the good news of Jesus will not be proclaimed unless someone is sent by God to do so. So four clear, obvious statements. Paul is talking about what is necessary for people to call on God and be saved. So what's necessary for the mission of Christ to be accomplished? It's actually the reverse order of... uh, uh, of what Paul has outlined here. First of all, for Christ's mission to be accomplished, disciples must be sent. Disciples must be sent. The word mission, the Latin root, is the word sending. If we are disciples of Christ, then we have been sent by Jesus personally to carry on his mission, to make disciples. We are to walk under the authority of Christ, empowered by his spirit. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. A related passage, John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So inspired by the great commission of Jesus, all disciples of Jesus at Willingdon are sent to make disciples. The mission statement of this church is so clear to know Jesus Christ personally, and to carry on his ministry. That mission statement comes right out of Scripture. It's based on the words of Jesus. A wonderful statement, a powerful statement. We have no mission as a church if we are not walking with Jesus. We do not know him personally, and we do not have his message of life on our lips, the gospel. I'm greatly encouraged by members at Willingdon that tell me their stories of sharing the good news of Jesus. Some members at Willingdon do that through ESL classes. Others do it through discovery classes. There are always people appearing here at Willingdon that want to get to know Jesus. 
And we have people in our church that are faithfully proclaiming the message of Jesus. Some do it on SkyTrain. Some do it on buses. Others on airplanes. Wherever they are, they're proclaiming the message of Jesus. As Pastor Mark said last week, their jobs are just a platform for glorifying God and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Others are in small groups and they invite people into their homes to study the scriptures, to open the word and discover who Jesus is. Some people dance up at Crystal Mall, worship dance. They haven't invited me to dance with them yet, but I'm so thankful that they do. The last number of weekends, we had a person visiting us, uh, came with a t-shirt. One weekend, it it read, God is a scam, and he had a donation bucket, raising funds for atheism. I I don't think this is the best address for raising funds for the atheistic cause, but there he was. What encouraged me was the way that members embraced him, loved him, spoke to him, shared the good needs of Jesus with him, invited him into our cafe, the best cafe in the world, Willingdon Cafe, (laughs) shared meals. He had a good time, I think. One story, Uh, a number of weekends ago, one of our members was just sharing his faith with him. They were engaged in uh, good conversation, and this member's daughter was observing what was happening. And so as her father was explaining the gospel to this man who claimed to be an atheist. She uh, made a card, and on that card she wrote, Jesus loves you, and she threw it into his donation bucket, gave him a big hug. I'm so thankful for members at Willingdon that proclaim the good news. They understand that they are disciples sent by Jesus. The second point on your outline, for Christ's mission to be accomplished, disciples must proclaim the good news of Jesus. Disciples must proclaim the good news of Jesus. The gospel, it's always personal. We're not talking about religion here. We're talking about what God, God himself has done for us. He has reached out to us personally. He has drawn us to himself. Jesus died for you and me. It's a personal message, a personal God. We've come to know Jesus personally. And so we enthusiastically, we passionately share the good news with real people who have real stories and real needs. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, it's quoted in verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How fair, how lovely, how pleasant are the feet of those who proclaim good news. Now, we often do, when we think of beauty, the first thing that comes to mind is most often not feet. Feet get dirty. They can smell quite bad, especially on the dusty roads of Israel. Why would feet be beautiful? Well, according to the scripture here, the feet are beautiful because they are carrying a messenger who has a wonderful message to proclaim. A person that has sat in the presence of the Lord knows Jesus and can share that message. Feet are beautiful. And the feet carry people that preach the good news. The word for preach the good news there is evangelize. And so often when we think of preaching, we think of a pulpit like this, this kind of setting, and someone is preaching a message. But when we talk about evangelism, it's actually something that all of us are called to do wherever we are. The full quotation of Isaiah 52, 7 is, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, 
who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The images of a runner. When we think of running, the the image that often comes to mind is the image of that Greek soldier who ran from Marathon to Athens in 490 BC to announce the Greek victory over the Persians, a 26-mile run, 42 kilometers, I believe. And so he ran from Marathon with that message, carried the message all the way to Athens, and there, with his last gasp, he cried out, victory, and he died. Marathon races are run around the world to this day in his honor. The picture in Isaiah 52 is of a runner, but the runner is running with a different message. The people of Israel are in captivity. They are in Babylon. And the prophetic word announces that there is going to come a day when a runner will announce the word that the the enemies of Jerusalem have been defeated The person will run saying, I have really good news. News of peace, of happiness, of salvation. The God of Israel reigns. We are set free. Of course, that word was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, but it's also fulfilled every time a disciple of Christ carries the good news of Jesus to others in the world today. We're ambassadors for Christ. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Notice that God makes his appeal through us. We're God's method. God's mess- messengers carry the good news. That word, beautiful, in Isaiah 52, 7. What Paul quotes in verse 15, beautiful, it can also mean timely, uh, the right moment, the right season. I think of a, a team of Christians in a big urban center in East Asia. They've been there for 20 years. The reason for their being there is to proclaim the good news to people living up in the Himalayas, an unreached people group. They've learned the language. They have made many tricks treks up into the mountains, going to remote villages, sharing the good news of Jesus, praying for people. They've seen people healed, but very little response to the gospel. At the end of last year, they were very discouraged. So much prayer mobilized, so many trips, so many attempts to share the good news of Jesus, but but so little response. And then at the end of last year, something remarkable happened. The head of a Buddhist monastery, he's known as a a living Buddha, he sent a message to this group of Christians in this urban center and said, I want to send our young monks to you. I want you to teach them the scriptures. Unbelievable opportunity. And so, shortly thereafter, 14 young monks were sent to study the scriptures with this group. They walked through 18 Bible stories, read them, acted them out, helped these monks understand the meaning of the message. And after that time together, one of them gave his life to Jesus. Some time passed, I just learned this last week, that another 60 monks were sent to that urban center to study the scriptures with that team. 
Again, after a time of teaching, a number of people came to faith, were baptized. So I believe that the feet of these Christian messengers in that urban center in East Asia, they are beautiful in God's eyes. They are beautiful feet. They're in God's timing. And by God's grace, people that have never confessed the name of Jesus before are confessing his name. We are here to run the hills of Burnaby. We are here to run the hills of New Westminster with the message of Jesus. The hills of North Vancouver, of Vancouver, Surrey, wherever you live. Even Richmond, even though it's flat, run the streets and proclaim the good news of Jesus. You know, your feet are beautiful. Say to the person next to you, your feet are beautiful. You didn't expect to get that blessing today, did you? What a wonderful weekend. We got to do a survey, and you got your feet blessed as well. Your feet are beautiful in God's eyes. The third thing that's necessary for Christ's mission to be accomplished, people need to hear the message of Jesus through disciples. It's always personal. They need to hear the message of Jesus through disciples. Well, what is the message? Let's go back to Romans chapter 10, the verses prior to the text that we read, Romans 10, beginning in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. First point, the message is for everyone. Look at verse 11. Everyone who calls Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the message is accessible to all who hear it. There's no distinction. Jews, Gentiles, men, women, slaves, If a person calls on the name of the Lord, that person will be saved. That's the promise. So why do some people not call on the Lord? Look at verse 16, chapter 10, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? You see, these verses that we have read in Romans chapter 10, they're actually set in the context of Jewish unbelief. And Paul is explaining why many of the Jews have not received the message of the prophets, nor have they received their Messiah, Jesus. Why? Why the hardness of heart? Well, hearing the news is not enough. There needs to be a response. The word obey there, whether you read it in Greek or in Latin, at the root of that word obey is a hearing where there's a voluntary submission, and so you need to submit to the word, actually receive it, not just hear it. That's the crux of the matter. Israel, by and large, was unable to hear the message of Jesus because they were running a different race. Paul uses this language in chapter 9, verses 30 to 33. 
They were on a race, but it was on the race of pursuing their own righteousness by doing works of the law. A righteousness based on their own ability, on their own goodness. And when Jesus came, they stumbled over him. Jesus was a stumbling stone for them. Because the fact that Jesus died for them, gave his life for them, meant that they were not able to save themselves on their own righteousness. And so he was an offense. The Jews were exercising a religion based on what God had revealed to them, but they had actually developed their own religion of keeping the works of the law. They were going in a direction that God had not intended them to go. The law had always pointed to Jesus, but they had missed him. They had not heard the message. In fact, they had developed a religion that excluded those that were not Jewish. In essence, instead of submitting to God and his plan, they used God's revelation to develop their own religion based on their own ability to be righteous and save themselves. And when Jesus came, they stumbled over him. The first step to receiving the message of Jesus is renouncing our own righteousness. The first step to receiving the message of Jesus is renouncing our sinful independence of God. All of our attempts to make life work apart from him. You see, many people around the world are very religious. It's not about being religious. Many Buddhists are very religious. Many spiritists in Sao Paulo are very religious. The Jews of first century Judaism were very religious. We're not talking about religion here. We're talking about something that God has done. God himself reaching out to humanity and doing what we could never do for ourselves. It's not about running a religious race. It's about Jesus. Dr. Timothy Tennant has written... One of the lessons from the 20th century is that no amount of doctrinal concessions to the voices of an increasingly godless and shrill culture will make us attractive to the world. The gospel has power for a lost world precisely because it offers a stunning alternative to the world's madness. We have nothing to offer the world but a bloody cross which remains a stumbling block in every generation. So don't be surprised if Jesus continues to be a stumbling block for people in our day. Jesus was a stumbling block 2,000 years ago, and he has been throughout the generations, whenever people have refused to renounce their own religious ways, their own righteousness. Now the law, the way that God had revealed himself It had always pointed to Jesus. Chapter 10, verse 4, Paul writes, Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes. The intent was always for the Jewish people to run toward Jesus. Paul writes in chapter 10, verse 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And this is one of the sobering things about humanity, is that we can be very zealous for some things, but be going in the wrong direction. We can be very enthusiastic, be committed to a cause, but lack understanding. We can be fanatical about things and be completely off. Perhaps one of the best examples or the epitome of zeal 
without knowledge is a suicide bomber who gives his or her life for a cause, believing that that is the ultimate good work, that that is the ultimate personal sacrifice, that that act of giving one's life and setting off a bomb to kill others actually allows a person to enter directly into paradise. That's how twisted we can become as human beings when we are on our own without the revelation of God to us. That's why the message of Jesus is so precious. Stakes are high. This week, a number of us in the pastoral team, we were shown pictures of two brothers. Uh, They're from the country of Georgia. Georgia is just east of the Black Sea, uh, northeast of of Turkey. Two brothers. Uh, When you look at the pictures, you say, okay, these these are brothers. These are siblings. One a pastor the other an ISIS fighter. The ISIS fighter, he became the minister of war for ISIS. He was killed last year. The pastor continues to preach the good news of peace through Jesus. Now the stakes are high. Two men committed to a cause on mission, believing they have a message to proclaim. Both men believing that through their actions, they're bringing in the kingdom. But from the perspective of Jesus, one man completely deceived. So the stakes are high. We need to proclaim the good news of Jesus. People don't just arrive on the good news of Jesus naturally. God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. And if we have received Jesus, if we have come to know him, if Jesus has revealed himself to us that it is our honor, our task to share that good news with all who will hear. So what kind of race are we running? Is it a race to know Jesus Christ personally and to carry on his ministry? Well, one more thing needs to happen for Christ's mission to be accomplished. For, For Christ's mission to be accomplished, the hearers must believe in Jesus and call on Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean to call on the Lord? Let's go back to Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Notice that in these verses, Paul refers to Jesus as the Lord. That's a translation of the Hebrew name Yahweh. So Paul is saying very clearly that Jesus is God. When you call on the name of the Lord, you believe with all your heart that Jesus is God himself, that he came and lived among us 2,000 years ago and that he died on a cross for you and for me, that you believe that. You believe that God raised them from the dead. You believe that he sits at the right hand of the Father right now, reigning over all things. You believe that with your heart, and that's why your mouth confesses that to be true. You've surrendered your life to him. That means that there was a moment in your life when you repented of the way that you were following. You were going in a certain direction. Maybe it was the path of atheism, but you turned from that and you turned to belief in Jesus. Maybe you were committed to another religion. There was a day when you turned from that religious race and you turned to Jesus for salvation for life. You surrendered yourself to him. There was a moment when you called out to God for mercy and you said, God, I can't do it on my own. 
I can't do it with my own wisdom, with my own righteousness, with my own good works. I am in desperate need of your grace. And you cried out to God saying, thank you, Jesus, for taking my sin upon myself, on yourself, for paying the price I could never pay. Thank you for making me alive by your spirit. Thank you for for setting me free from guilt. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for removing my shame. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to live within me, to empower me to live in a new way. Thank you for filling my heart with your peace. There was a day when we cried out to God for mercy and Jesus saved us. To, To be saved, all we need to do is humble ourselves before God, admit our fallenness, our weakness, our desperate need for him, receive him and confess faith in him with our mouths. So if you have never done that, just let me pray with you right now. Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for salvation in you. And I pray that those that have never received you would just pray with me in this moment. Lord, speak to them by your Spirit. If you've never received Jesus, pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for coming, for revealing the Father. Thank you for being faithful to go to the cross for my sin. Thank you for taking my sin upon yourself. Thank you for paying the price I could never pay. I repent to Jesus. I need you. Thank you for forgiveness. Jesus, send your spirit to live in me. I want to follow you. Empower me by your spirit to follow your way. I want to live for your glory. I surrender my life to you and I confess you as Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, come forward later to speak to me or go to the Welcome Center. There are people there that would love to talk to you, to pray with you. Now, just before we finish, what are some of the obstacles to the mission of Christ being accomplished? First, one of them is the mission of Christ is blocked when disciples just are not sent. William Carey, the founder of the uh, modern missionary movement, at least he's considered to be the founder, uh, near the end of the 18th century, he went to his church board in England and said, hey, I believe God's calling me to India. And his church board responded with this, young man, when God chooses to save the heathen, he'll do so without your help. Thankfully, William Carey did not listen to that counsel and went to India. If you're a follower of Jesus and you attend this church, understand that Jesus has sent you by his authority to make disciples under the empowerment of his spirit. That calling is on every disciple of Christ. Understand that this church blesses you to proclaim the good news. We all have that mission, to know Jesus personally and to carry on his ministry. We are God's chosen method for Metro Vancouver. Let's run with the message. Secondly, the mission of Christ is blocked when disciples are not equipped with the gospel. We all need to be equipped with the gospel. So, In a small group, study the scriptures with others. Take a discovery class like discovering how to share your faith. 
It's there so that you might be equipped to share the gospel. Learn to tell your own story. It's your story. Your story of how God has worked in your life. No one can argue with that. That's your story. How God has entered your life and changed you. Share that story boldly. Learn the essentials of the gospel. You will never have an answer to every question. I don't have an answer to every question. You will never have an answer to every question. We can't wait until we know everything to share the gospel. We share in our weakness, in humility, and God works through us by his power. And then thirdly, the mission of Christ is blocked when disciples are afraid of a negative response. I find that sometimes I shrink back and do not speak because I'm afraid of a negative response. And I have to tell myself, Ray, get over it. (laughs) Jesus was rejected. Paul was rejected many times. You will be too. That's part of the journey. Our task is to be faithful, to be obedient, and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work that only he can do. And then the main reason the mission of Christ is blocked is the following. The mission of Christ is blocked when disciples do not have the same heart as Jesus toward the lost. And I have to confess that at times I just do not share the heart of Jesus. When we don't share that heart of Jesus, we need to ask for it, pray for it. Look at Paul's heart for the people of Israel. He's suffered a lot of rejection, but look at what he says. Chapter 9, verse 1. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites. That's powerful language. And then if we drop down to chapter 10, verse 1, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved Paul had the heart of Jesus for his Jewish brothers and sisters. It seemed that the more rejection he experienced, the more compassion he had for them. Chapter 1, verse 16, he confesses, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So pray for the heart of Jesus for the lost. Our passage today, chapter 10, verses 14 to 17, it ends with this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. People need to hear the good news and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ. (laughs) Jesus is the author of that word. Jesus is the content of that word. It's all about Jesus. That word, it's living and active. It's a word used by the Spirit of God for the transformation of lives. We're called to speak forth that word, the word of Christ. So, let's go back to that corporate office where I sit there with two men in front of me. Well-positioned men, well-educated men, wealthy, it appears that they have all that this life has to offer. What do they need to hear? So we study the scriptures for a number of months, and after a number of months, 
the president of the Association of Theme Parks, he says, this message is, is not for me. I, um, I have committed a sin that cannot be forgiven. And he talks about one of his experiences from his teen years. And he says, I've committed a sin that Jesus cannot forgive. There is no salvation for me. I live under condemnation. So what does he need to hear? He needed to hear the word of Christ. He needed to hear that Jesus had died for him, that Jesus had taken his sin upon himself. And the only sin that Jesus would not be able to forgive would be the sin of rejecting Christ's sacrifice for him. He needed to hear the word that Jesus had forgiven him. He needed to hear that personally. He wept. He surrendered his life to Jesus. A few months later, he was in Orlando. And the presidents of theme parks from around the world were gathered, and he opened that gathering with his own story of transformation in Jesus. Just a new believer. He didn't know everything about the gospel, but he knew that Jesus had entered his life. That he was experiencing new life, that Jesus had made him alive. And he had good news to proclaim. Your job, wherever you are, it's always a platform to glorify God and share the good news. Now, we will be running the hills of Burnaby, New West, North Vancouver, Vancouver, wherever we are, we will be running this week. And may we remember that at the heart of Christ's mission is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. May we remember that we are all sent by Jesus under his authority under the power of his spirit. What a gift to know Jesus. What a gift. What a gift to be empowered by the spirit of God. What a gift to have come to an understanding of the gospel, the good news. What a gift to be invited by Jesus himself to join him in the work that he is doing in our day. What a gift to live this day, to enter this week trusting God to do a miracle. To enter the week with great hope, understanding that God will do something way beyond our imagination. Trusting God to do a miracle in our day. If we're faithful, if we proclaim the good news, people will call on the Lord and be saved. Let's stand for prayer. So Jesus, we just thank you again for your abundant goodness. It's by your grace that we have been saved, through faith in you. We thank you again for giving your life for us and drawing us to yourself by your spirit. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that their faith will be increased, that they will walk expecting you to do great things this day, this week. Lord, may we live for your glory. And I pray this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go with God. Bless you.